Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John McComb. And I'm Eric Skuzkowspo. Uh, well, guys, um, I think I have just now thought out from uh, the ice bath that was uh, Saturday's uh, butt whoop of Minnesota. How, how about you guys? Yeah, that was the worst weather I've ever been to at a sporting event. I think we all agree if the temperature was 10 degrees warmer or 10 degrees colder, we would have been better off. But it was at that god-awful sweet spot where it's almost freezing rain. And uh, you you get wet, but you're still freezing. It was. Uh, I mean, we were prepared for the elements, but it it still found its way in. But but hey, who cares? Thirty nine nothing. I was just gonna say at thirty nine nothing, you could have made that weather ten percent worse, and I'd be fine. Scuzz, <laughs> I Scuzz, I felt bad for your dad. That's who I dad, felt bad for. <laughs> dad did not bring waterproof gear. Um, oh no, he brought he brought water resistant gear. And it, um, and it was Minnesota water resistant gear, and and yeah, and while he is you know quite conditioned to the cold, um, he's used to snow and ice and the rain. Uh, yeah, he was he was extremely cold. <laughs> he was also he was also um, somewhat somewhat I won't say miserable from the results, but um, he was not buoyed by the score or the product on the field like I was. Sure. You know, when your team completes two passes all game, and those were the first two plays of the game. Um, Pardon me. he They they completed five passes. Oh, that, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Two <laughs> passes to their guys, three passes to our guys. Um, but, you know, the passing game was just not a factor because of the wind and the rain. And, you know, that benefited. I mean, the whole game just, we dominated. It was a, It was a domination. So I was going back through Twitter after the game um, as I was falling asleep to take an afternoon nap and continue to thaw, and I was really surprised I found a whole, and I don't know if these were, I don't think they were in jest, but a whole bunch of references on Twitter leading up to the game about like how terrible the weather that was going to be and how much of a, of a boon that was going to be for Minnesota. And I was thinking to myself, I totally disagree, because in the parking lot, getting drunk before the game, I, I was thinking the exact opposite, given that the team with the horrible rushing defense is probably going to be at a disadvantage because the other team's just going to run the ball down their throat. Yeah, I think the one the one upshot, because we did talk about it a little before the game, is Minnesota's game plan was not going to be affected. And whereas, in theory, we might have been expected to throw the ball a little bit more. But the flip side is, and this is the same thing that was true against Nebraska, um, and the same thing that was true against Maryland, is when one team is just dominant in the line on both sides of the ball, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. And we're, I mean, it became really clear really early in the game that Minnesota could not run the ball against our defensive line. And the minute that became clear, that was it. That was the end of the game. Um, it didn't matter what the weather was. Um, we Our defensive line was not Nebraska's defensive line. Minnesota can't throw the ball. They sure as heck can't throw the ball in that kind of weather. Um, and, and that was it. And I think, you know, yes, the score didn't get super high until late in the game. Well, no, that's not even true. I mean, we were in command all the way through. But the minute we scored our first touchdown, 
I was immediately like, I don't know how Minnesota scores here. I don't know how they get back in this game. They are only trying to do one thing, and they can't do it. And, Re- and that was it. Resident Westlot Pirates Gopher fan K Hawk texted me after after we went up thirteen nothing and said, "Well, that should be about it. Why don't you go get warm?" <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing I'll point out is I had a very I had a little bit of deja vu going back to last year's game at Minnesota, and if you were, recall that game, I was there. Um, and it was like 12 degrees. It was absolutely frigid. And in my head, I was thinking, oh, well, this shouldn't be too bad for the players because uh, Minnesota's field is heated because they were hosting the Minnesota Vikings uh, for a couple seasons there, and so they had to install heating coils in the field. But at, in, the, in that game, Northwestern just so clearly looked uncomfortable and cold and slow, and Minnesota got out, I think, to a two-touchdown lead or a 10-point lead or something, and you know that they were coming out in short sleeves and just all jacked up and and Northwestern could not answer um that that intensity and i thought i saw the opposite very similar story play out this past saturday at Ryan Field where Northwestern's team and and uh props to our strength coach who uh just continues to <laughs> garner media attention and accolades for being a total maniac on the sidelines but Northwestern looked jacked up and ready to rock the whole game and Minnesota just looked like they were wearing sodden pants and they were uncomfortable. I like the whole game. I don't I don't think they looked comfortable or or at any point like they were um reaching the intensity and the and the focus with which Northwestern was playing and you you just saw countless mistakes on their end whether it was penalties, uh the the interceptions, um I, the thing that was most stunning to me, I think, and this is maybe what what I'm what I'm trying to get to here, anecdotally, is you saw Thorson complete uh, a bunch of passes, um, a couple of really nice touchdowns to Garrett Dickerson. Uh, Skoranek had some nice uh, nice plays, like turnaround, uh, button hook, like like pretty simple passing plays, but the ball was placed in the right spot and the receivers uh, hauled it in. And I didn't feel like Connor Rhoda was abnormally inaccurate. I mean, certainly a couple of those interceptions were bad throws, but how many balls bounced off of his receivers or out of their arms? And it just says to me that like the, the focus and the intensity and the, the mental state was not there for Minnesota. Yeah. And I do want to make one point too, because I mean, I think if people look at the stats, they might see that, you know, Rodney Smith and Kobe McCrary had pretty good games running the ball. I mean, they weren't, their numbers aren't bad. They combined for 170 yards, and they each had an average of over five yards a carry. But I think if you if you kind of dig into those numbers, again, like Minnesota's bread and butter is their run game. I mean, this is a team that tore Nebraska apart on the ground. And Demery Croft usually factors into that as well. But if you drill down on the numbers, I think McCrary and Smith each had, I think, one long run. Aside from that, there wasn't a heck of a lot there. Croft was no help whatsoever. Um, and then, you know, the flip side is that Minnesota was never going to break it on the ground. And the pass game was such a complete disaster. I mean, yeah, we talked about the three picks. Uh, we're credited for five sacks against Croft. That seems low to me. Uh, I think several guys were either not credited for sacks or were credited for half sacks in situations where, like, four guys hit Croft at once. Five sacks doesn't accurately sum up. Uh, the performance of the defensive line. I mean, Croft was dropping back, the plot, the pocket was exploding, and he was just chucking it. And 
you know, or they were just running uh, for not too many yards and then punting the football. I mean, it was there. It it was just a, a controlling of the line of scrimmage. And on the flip side, you know, I felt like we had no trouble moving the ball. I mean, we had a lot of guys got positive yards, including guys like John Moten and Austin Anderson that we haven't seen at all this year. Um, I just think, you know, we, we owned the trenches. This had to be the easiest game plan of the year because Croft is such a, a an easy, um, I don't want to say easy to defend, but, but conceptually easy quarterback to defend. You just keep everything in front of you and, I mean the the guy the guy is not accurate deep, and you just have to make sure he doesn't beat you with his legs. And we annihilated, we annihilated them on that front. Um, and I think on the other side, like Thorson was was super efficient, nine of thirteen. Uh, the like thirty thirty three percent of his completions were for touchdowns. Um, but we probably need we probably need to talk. Uh, I know we gave him some accolades a couple weeks ago, but we we need to talk about Justin Jackson, the ball carrier. Yeah, he had a monster day. Um, 166 yards on 31 carries. I mean, and he only played the the three quarters. In doing so, becomes uh, goes over 5,000 career rushing yards. Um, I mean, this guy is is the best running back in Northwestern history. Period. And he and Ron Dane, right, are the only Big Ten backs to rush for a thousand yards in four consecutive seasons. Um, yeah. It's what, what more can you say? I mean, he's, we're going to miss him big time. I mean, he is a special player. I think so many of us, you know, are always going to be left with the feeling that as good of a career as he's had, we could have done more for him. But I never, ever have once felt that there was a situation where his production for us was lacking. He's always been Mr. Dependable. And I think if anything, we've kind of been like, we could have served him better throughout his career, but he has put in his shift uh, for sure. I will say also that we all talked about last week that our like rope a dope possum play calling routine against Purdue was just that. And you could expect that it was going to be Pulse City against Minnesota. And that's exactly what it was. We were sending linemen oh, out. Oh, it was space. beautiful. Yeah. There was the one play where we were laughing and even talking about uh, there was one pull to the left where Jackson. Uh, was actually had a, a real live convoy going up into the hole in front of him and uh, watching Rashawn Slater pull left. And uh, Jackson had this huge hole, and I was looking, and I said to Sam, Rashawn Slater had a huge hole on that play. And it was awesome. And in the replay, you could see <laughs> Slater just, like, going up into the space and being like, whoa, woohoo, second level. All right. I get to go engage a linebacker. Yeah, I mean, he, and, he, he, you know, he was running because – he was running because there was no one for him to block. It was right. just I mean, emptiness. It, right. I mean, it was that kind of day. I mean, and, and again, one of the things that makes me feel good, too, is I think in addition to the results from the early part of the season, I think one of the things that had us really bummed was a feeling that we didn't know what this team was on the, on the offensive line. Um, we knew that the cellar was really low, and we didn't know what the ceiling was. And now I feel like we've, we've got a pretty good idea. We know what the defenses in the conference look like, and we know what we're capable. And, and if you're a bottom half of the defense, you know, in the a bottom half of the conference defense in the Big Ten, we're going to be able to run the ball on you. I mean, that's been proven out completely. And of course, with, uh, you know, that poop city down in Champaign waiting on the horizon, that's definitely a good thing to know. I was just going to say, 
What if what if you're the worst defense of the Big Ten? <laughs> uh, before we spin it forward uh, to Illinois, I do want to just shout out Nate Hall. Uh, the date the day that he had, you know, five uh, solo uh, seven tackles, uh, two and a half sacks, fumble recovery, interception. I mean, he had a game. This is coming off of his uh, his st- stitched hand interception against. Michigan State, and he had uh, he was good against Nebraska. He's really emerged, and I think we we highlighted him in the in the preseason as somebody who was going to be stepping into a bigger role. He'd been a, a huge a huge component in coverage in past years, uh, rotating in a lot in in passing situations as the second linebacker next to Walker. And he's real he's really come to play this year, uh, both uh, run pass etc. And and it's it's been a great season for Nate. He's one of the leaders in the conference in tackles for loss. I think he's top five. Um, he's uh, you can expect uh, Nate Hall, Patty Fisher, Tyler Lancaster, um, Gaziano, Sondup Miller, Godwin, and um, Kyle Cairo to all get all Big Ten honors of some sort, first, second, or third team, or at the very least honorable mention. Um, and you know that's we've we've. We were pulling our hair out on our secondary so early in the season and for so long that, you know, it overshadowed the fact that pretty much every other position on the field was solid for us. And, um, you know, credit where credit is due. I mean, those guys were awesome and have been all year. And also, you know, big props to, to Fitz for literally getting every available eligible player into the game. At some point, um, you know, he, he was quoted at the end, like the fourth quarter, he was you know, busier than he normally is making sure that everyone got in, you know, the substitutions were getting all jacked up, but you know, everyone gets in Corey Acker gets a touchdown. Matt Alvidi gets a, a full quarter to run the offense. Um, you know, Jelani package gets a touchdown. Jelani package yeah. got a touchdown for the first time. That was, that was pretty awesome. Um, but you know, the fact that, you know, senior day, everyone's getting in there. It, uh, that was really cool to see. It was really cool. ESPN has us, I think, what are we 22nd or 23rd in their power rankings? And the picture for Northwestern that's up with the power rankings is a picture of Corey Acker, which I thought was pretty awesome. I was like, good for him. He gets in, you know, finally gets a carry, (laughs) scores a touchdown, gets a little pub in ESPN. I mean, that's great. That's exactly what senior day is supposed to be. Uh, with, with the latest playoff rankings out, uh, we check in at 22 on that ranking. Um, you know, moved up one spot. I'm still confused on why uh, Michigan State team that we beat and also has three losses is like seven spots ahead of us. And, you know, okay, sure, whatever. Penn, Penn State. I, I, that's pretty much and it. That, and that Duke loss. They, I mean, that, that Duke. Yeah game is costing us about seven spots right now we'd be ranked 15th ish 15th to 17th in every mm. poll and the cfp you mean just bump it up we'd i don't be, believe that's true we'd be well i we'd do be not the, believe that's true well we'd be the only nine and two team who weren't if you follow if you just look if at the we, stats if, we'd be a nine and two team ranked I, below every other nine and two team if that was true the, the difference is, is we don't have a win on par with those other nine and two teams. And when you, I, I mean, had we shown up against Penn state and give them a battle, like maybe, but I just, I think the rankers where we, we fell off the radar after that game. 
outside of being in the you know the bottom five to seven rankings. There's no way we're top fifteen. We have a win. We have a win over number fourteen team. Or That's true. Wh- wherever Michigan State is ranked, so our That's true. Our, ske- our our best win is as good, if not better, than Wisconsin's best win. <laughs> and. And they're, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a. Uh, I feel like I'm the, looking into a hall of mirrors right now. Yeah, yeah. and they're in the CFP. Yeah, that, we're that, the we're the feather. That's in the some cap circular a, logic that could really give you a headache. <laughs> yeah, we're the feather in the cap of a of a playoff team right now. Let's put it that way. Uh, before we get too far into the playoffs and and other things, we you know we do need to talk about this weekend's game. Uh, the battle for the hat, um, heading down to Champaign to take on a horrible Illinois team. Look, here's the, here's the thing. Illinois is far worse than we thought they would be. Uh, Jeff George Jr. is your quarterback. We hoped and prayed for it at the beginning of the year. Uh, he is your quarterback. He is barely achieving a completion rate above 50%. He has been sacked on 10% of his dropbacks. He is averaging less than six yards per attempt. He's an awful quarterback. Their defense is, is a disaster. They do not have anybody that can cover either Dickerson or Skoranek, who, by the way, have both figured out to really use their physicality uh, to just screen defenders and take them out of the play entirely um, when they're being thrown the ball. And all this adds up to one one awesome thing that I'll be watching for on Saturday, and that's if we can get Justin Jackson another 166 yards, and frankly, I think it's a, it's a handful less than that, he will become the 10th highest FBS rusher of all time. It's I It seems pretty doable. I just want... We've alluded to it. I feel like we need to provide some statistical evidence. Illinois is last in the conference in scoring offense, bottom three in scoring defense, bottom three in total offense, bottom three in total defense, last in rush offense, last in rush defense, last in pass efficiency defense, uh, last in, or uh, last, second to last in pass efficiency, second to last in pass defense efficiency. They are, however, seventh in punt returns, so they've got that going for them, which is nice. Um, but yes, this is an epically bad team that would have fired Lovey Smith were he fireable. Uh, but he's not fireable because of the dumbest buyout clause ever. So they're tethered to that ball and chain. Um, if, and we're going to get to take advantage. If, if I might jump in with some advanced stats, um, they're not quite, they're not quite last in every category, but they're, they're pretty far down there. Pretty much the only thing they have going for them is they don't give up a ton of big plays. But maybe it's because nobody needs to throw on them. <laughs> yeah, right. Like if you're just if you're just handing out rush yards left and right. I mean, again, it's I know it's rivalry week. I know they say, you know, throw out the record books, etc. and everything. But everything we've seen about this offensive line, about our offensive line and the way it works against defenses like this, we're gonna be pulling linemen into holes. They're going to be getting to the second level, and we have a back who doesn't go down on first hit. Um, so, I mean, it's just simple math here. I mean, Illinois, this is a team that doesn't do anything well. They lost, um, you know, several key cogs on defense to start the year. Thought they were going to be able to plug, you know, a few other key cogs back in. It just didn't work at all. And, 
you know, we knew they weren't going to have much on offense. I mean, I, they're just, I mean, in a conference that's got a lot of up and down teams, Illinois is far and away the worst team. And that's even compared to Rutgers. So I'm just looking at their last five games. Uh, they scored 14 points against Ohio State, 14 points against Indiana, 10 points against Purdue, 10 points against Wisconsin, 17 points against Minnesota. Um, then you get your 24 against Rutgers. That was their highest scoring. Uh, actually, that's that's their highest scoring game all season, and that includes their win over Ball State. Um, you know, 16 points against Iowa, six points against Nebraska. They can't score. They can't move the ball, and they can't stop anyone from scoring on them. It's got to be a really weird situation there, too. I just that that Illinois, after everything that athletic department has been through, that they would put themselves in a position now where they're just horribly awful. They don't have you know much of a prognosis for improving, and they're just stuck like this. They, I mean, Lovey. Unless he decides to leave, unless Lovey on his own decides, but I mean, why is he going to turn away that free paycheck? Why wouldn't he make them fire him? Um, and I, you know, and yeah, he, he's no, just, he's no Gary Anderson, right? Yeah, that with all the problems that Illinois has, that you know, what I mean, what is it, fifteen million dollars or something like that? Like, unless some big, 19. some great, nineteen, nineteen. If, unless some booster descends out of the clouds and is like, here's nineteen million dollars. Um, they're stuck with him. And I just, I, I just found a Deadspin article from from August seventeenth, twenty seventeen, titled "Illinois is paying Lovey Smith a lot of money for this shit." <laughs> <laughs> He's making four million a year, which we know is more than fits, and a and as a nineteen point three million buyout clause, it's like a top ten buyout clause in, in college football. Well, again, too, I mean, last year Illinois was offensively anemic. But they at least had a defensive identity, and you could at least say, well, here's Lovey, you know, putting his stamp on it. But that's all gone this year. Illinois is just, this is Tim Beckman, Illinois. It just, this team's just crappy in every way. And, I mean, again, I I don't expect us to have any trouble with them. Uh, obviously, again, rivalry, etc. But we've got a lot to play for. Uh, they have nothing to play for. They have nothing. Like, I mean, compare them to Nebraska. Nebraska at least knows, right? Pretty good chance Scott Frost is coming in. Uh, greener pastures very well may be ahead. Uh, Illinois can make no such claim. They are dancing with Lovey for, for several more years. I, I'm going to say not so fast on the Scott Frost to Nebraska, uh, but I, we're, yeah. we're going we're gonna to talk, well, we're we're gonna gonna talk about the coaching carousel here in a sec. Um, I do want to kind of go through some of the amazing games that are going to be going on this weekend. You know, last weekend was just a poop fecta of, of games. There was nothing really all that interesting. You know, Wisconsin, Michigan was the only like decent game on, on the schedule, uh, from a, at least a national perspective. Um, but this week is it's rivalry week and there are some juicy, juicy matchups. I mean, You've got uh, the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving night. Um, I don't know how many people outside of uh, Mississippi are going to be watching that game just because NFL is on and everyone will be in their uh, tryptophan coma. Um, but, you know, that, that's that's a fun one. Mississippi State sitting at 14. Uh, on you got a bunch of games on Friday. Uh, Miami at Pitt. Baylor at TCU. Well, Baylor at TCU. That'll be a bloodbath. Uh 
Central Florida, South Florida. You've got Virginia, Virginia Tech. I mean, a bunch of fun games on Friday. And then you get to Saturday, you've got Michigan, Ohio State, for whatever that's worth. Um, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Bama, Auburn is is the big one. Uh, Notre Dame, Stanford. Clemson, South Carolina. Uh, The Apple Cup, Washington, Washington State. I mean, just go on and on and on. You know, there's some wonderful, wonderful games. Uh, our game is at three o'clock on uh, FS1, um, which means there's a bunch of other channels uh, with some like the Iron Bowl is going is going on opposite uh, our game. So you know during commercials, flip over, uh, watch some of that Bama Auburn game because that's going to be insane. So I, I you know I, I don't I don't disagree that it's a great weekend of matchups and. As you well know, Sammy, this is always one of my absolute favorite I know it. weekends of the I year. Know it. I, I harken back to 06 when, when you and I uh, ate copious quantities of food and watched an equally copious amount of football. And like that was all we did for like five days it was in Colorado. Am- it was so amazing. Good. I guess we did go ski for a half a day or something. Um, but still, like it's, it's, it, it's an epic weekend because there are – uh, a lot of teams that really know each other. There's a lot on the line um, for a lot of squads as well. And interestingly, outside of the outside of the Iron Bowl, I, I mean, I think on average this week is getting this week is getting overhyped because a lot of these other matchups are pretty lopsided when you look at the underlying numbers and how these teams have performed. But what that says to me is it's probably going to be an ass crazy weekend of upsets. I so like the thing that's most fascinating to me is if things play out how I expect them to play out in the Pac-12, which is I I think even though they're the lower ranked team, I think Washington is the better team than Washington State, and they're at home. And I I mean I, I mean I I won't be surprised either way, but I would expect that Washington beats Washington State in the Apple Cup. If that happens, and Notre Dame beats Stanford, which I think, I mean, that game I guess could go either way too, but I would expect Notre Dame to get that win. Stanford's not going to be ranked because they're going to drop to, I think, 8-4, and four, but they'll still be playing in the Pac-12 championship game uh, representing the South, which I think would just be crazy North. to have an, un- I mean, the, the North uh, playing against USC. Um, and I don't know. I mean, that that's just bizarre. Now, obviously, either of those games could go either way. And if Washington State wins the Apple Cup, they're going with a shot to play for the Pac-12 championship, which is obviously a huge deal for them. But, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's not a whole heck of a lot. But, again, it is – there are just so many different things to watch spread out over a long weekend. I mean, Friday's got, you know, Miami Pitt. Um, that's going to be fun. Iowa, Nebraska, just to watch, you know, potentially Iowa put it on Nebraska. Um, I know yeah, I, mean, I, I would took one on the chin from Purdue at home last week. So. <laughs> I know Purdue. I got I yeah but I mean you know it's just you're right it's it's a wonderful time of the year you're you know you're making turkey sandwiches and you're sitting back and and watching football so yeah I'm psyched is that like a turkey hole yeah yeah right so, yeah. sorry sorry John Gruden just came running through here in a Tennessee towel oh no that wasn't him that was somebody yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ten- and Tennessee fans say, no, no, I think it was him. I think it was him. Don't let the dream die. Uh, but yeah, but anyway. How, how excited for you guys uh, when Tennessee starts to actually consider maybe they should rehire Lane Kiffin because it's gotten that bad. 
Oh, that's Tennessee's best option for sure. I don't think he'd take the job. They sort of asked They'll, him about they would it. never they would never they would never oh, go oh, there. Oh, well, they asked him about it too and he was a little pissy about it too. He was like he was like, "Oh, they like me now. That's not what I remember when I had to have like state troopers escort me out of town in the middle of the night or whatever." And I was like, "All right, Lane, simmer down. <laughs> You'd take that job in a second if they offered it to you." Uh, so that, that Charlie Weiss actually... is probably available. <laughs> <laughs> hey. So that leads us into our our next conversation. We've been uh, definitely hinting around the edges, um, but the coaching carousel is in full swing. Um, you know, UCLA fires Jim Mora. You've got uh, all the reports are saying Kevin Sumlin is going to be out at Texas A and M after this weekend's game against LSU. Uh, Florida's already looking for a coach. Tennessee's already looking for a coach. Um, it, it'd be very hard not to see a situation where Nebraska isn't looking for a coach. Um, Oregon State's looking for a coach. I mean, there's a bunch of openings out. And after this weekend's games, there's going to be a lot. I mean, that that week, kind of leading into championship week, is all about you know coaches moving. Uh, and yeah, that coaching carousel really kicking into high gear. Um, we, we should probably start at the, with like the, the initial dominoes, right? That are going to probably lay the, lay the foundation for everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yes. So yeah. So Chip threw his hat into the ring, right? And immediately becomes the top guy. He's got to be, right? Probably, but <sighs> yeah, but I mean, depend, I, depending on which job, I mean, I, I don't think that there's, I don't think that with the jobs that are open this year, there is like one guy who would be the top pecking order for all of those uh, opportunities. I, 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 I disagree. I mean, I mean, he's a genius. Yeah. I mean, when I, it well, comes to the college game. I mean, maybe, maybe he's still a genius. Right. He got, he got pretty stubborn in Philly and, and San Francisco and, got so simplistic and stubborn in his scheme that his offenses were abysmal. Um, I mean, like early on in Philly, he was pretty good, but it just, it seemed like he became almost his own worst, own worst enemy. But I mean, but the question, I mean, the question is like, like with, with great athletes and, and good, you know, assistant coaches, could a Chip Kelly team execute? Absolutely. I think the question is given how, advanced the rest of college football has become uh, basically like learning from some of his concepts. Can he tinker and tweak enough uh, to, to get to the, to the level that, that people expect him to be at? I think yes, but I just, I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, a given that he comes in and the place just becomes instantly amazing. Well, so I, I agree with what you're saying from the schemes perspective, but in college there's that whole other thing, which is that like chip Keck chip, Kelly is like the sexiest coach to play for. Like, I mean, it's it just, he, he's, he's known in college as being unbelievably fun to play for. Not like he's a fun guy, but just his offense and guys being like, you know what I mean? Like Chip floor- Kelly is almost a perfect redux of Steve Spurrier. That's true. Oh, interesting. Now, now Steve Spurrier, I don't know. See, I always thought I don't know. Chip I, don't like Chip don't like to recruit. Right, that's the word. That's the word. Yeah, not because he's I mean, golfing, they, but just because he probably just wants to watch film because he's a junkie. But they were pulling guys like nationally, and yeah, they had that Nike money and everything. But 
the thing is, like South Carolina will never be what Florida has the potential to be. That's the Chip, that's the difference. And if Chip takes that, I mean, it's you saw what Urban Meyer did. I mean, it's like if you're pulling all the fastest guys in the state to your school to run that track meet offense, you know, you can do some real things with it. But again, I I think right. I mean, he's got a little of that that. NFL stink on him, but I, I just still think he's got to be the the top name because he's proven. So he's, he's the top name for any opening. Like at, at, like schools are falling are going to fall over themselves to try and get him. At, but I don't I don't think le- realistically anybody has a shot other than UCLA and Florida. Those are the two. Those are the two in the driver's seat right now. The other interesting thing to mention about Chip is that it's been a long time since since the top the top dog coach has been a guy that nobody has to wait a couple weeks to hire. Like, like they could hire him right now, like with, with Tom Herman and, and others over the years. That hasn't been true. Even, even with Harbaugh, like he wasn't – everybody knew he was leaving the Niners at the end of the year, but it wasn't until the end of the year. Right. So, you know, if you're Chip Kelly, what job if, – if, if it is between Florida and UCLA – I'm glad we finally arrived at this which, point in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which we, job which job is more attractive for Chip and which job is a better job just all in all? Or is, is there is that a different answer? Scuzz, make your case. Well, I think we I think John and I genu, genu, generally agree on the latter question and that's that the better job is clearly Florida. And, and Sam, oh, I don't know oh, if yes. you're in that boat. On as that, well. we agree. No, I, I absolutely. I mean, Florida it definitely has the better talent. UCLA uh, is the second banana in LA. Uh, you got California talent to recruit, but you know, you're it's not the top dog, and it it never will be the top dog. Um, you know, they ha- they have spurts every now and again, but uh, you know, they're the number two school in LA and Florida. Although you you heard reports that you know they're not they don't get all of the money that they want like the, the, yeah. some of the facilities aren't quite up to snuff aren't quite up to where uh, other you know, SEC schools are um, I, I know uh, the McIlwain was complaining a little bit about that you know, on his way out but uh, you know Florida will you know a good Florida team is in the national championship conversation a good UCLA team is in the Pac-12 conversation. I totally disagree. Okay. A, a, a good UCLA team that beats Stanford and USC and goes goes 12-1 and one is 100% in the national championship conversation. Sure. There's, but I- there's no doubt about that. And so so here's my here's my pitch for UCLA, right? Um, big media market, but not one that's a fishbowl. Like, I, I think Chip wants to be in charge. I think he wants to have a lot of control. I also think he hates the media and I don't think that he did particularly well with the media in, in the NFL. That's, this is why I think UCLA is a better fit for him. Um, California recruits are sure. Maybe California as a state is a notch below Florida. Um, but there is plenty of talent to go around there. The guy was able to recruit nationally at Oregon and LA is a heck of an easier sell. I don't think he cares what, I don't and think he's he... recruited California too before. Yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. Experience. He is a known commodity out there, um, and you know I mentioned this earlier. Like I don't like the 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 rep on Chip is he doesn't love to recruit, and I feel like in the SEC you have to love to recruit because it is 
uh, I mean, you 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 can't stop recruiting guys even once they're in in school. <laughs> you gotta keep going. <laughs> um, and I just I think I, I think it's a better fit for him overall. Um, and I think he could probably do do better there. I don't think he'll care one one iota that uh, USC is up the road and they're they're a bigger deal. Um, but I, I mean, there's there's a case made on the other side too. The one other thing I'll say is that I don't know that Florida can claim to be the top banana in the state of Florida as long as turnover chains around. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, again, though, that's the Florida's kind of unique like that, right? Like, depending on the given time period, any of those three teams can jockey for position. Not just, I mean, there could easily be a year where you, I, you know, I could tell you, yeah, the top three teams in Florida are the number one, number two, and number three teams in the nation. And I would be like, sure. Like that's, and, and frankly, that exact thing did happen for a long period of time. Um, but in California, it's, it's not like that at all. Right. I mean, you're going to be Auburn. That's basically what you're going to be. Right. I mean, as good as you could possibly be and as good as you could possibly be, I mean, might be the very best. Auburn won a national title when Cam Newton was there, but they're always second banana and they and they, they always won. Will they be. won two national titles. Yeah. Um, who did UCLA? Uh- Oh no no you're wrong. I'm wrong I'm wrong Auburn did not win their second yeah, one yeah. they got to a second one sorry right but no. I mean it's but you're but you know you're always going to be second fiddle and I think that's what it is in UCLA now you're right now maybe Chip's personal thing is that but I I will tell I mean Florida views themselves as a place where Chip Kelly is the head coach you know what I mean like they're like that's a huge impact hire they'd pay him however much money he wanted to go there. Um, and right away, you know, it's like that perfect marriage. It's the same thing as Alabama. I mean, the minute Saban arrived at Alabama, everyone was like, oh, God, this team's going to get really good really fast because the program already has the potential to recruit like gangbusters. So when you like add that dual thing, I mean, Saban, they were mediocre his first year. They were awesome his second year. And right, you say, I mean, like maybe Chip's like just not all about that and everything. But I mean, like. If you combine those two things, that is kind of a perfect storm. Now, again, you can make the same argument at a place like Texas A&M. Now, Texas A&M is not Texas, but they're also in the SEC, and Texas is down right now. Um, but again, I think you know, to me, it's it's got to be it's got to be Florida, unless, like you said, Scuzz, he just is in love with being on the West Coast and wants that UCLA job. Yeah, there's there's one other. I think there's two other like little chips you could put on the Florida side of the table. One is football school, basketball school. I, I you know both schools get get uh, flack for not you know being as as free with the money as maybe other places are, but. UCLA basketball competes for resources. I don't think that's true at the University of Florida. Um, and then the other thing, you know, I said maybe he doesn't, you know, maybe his, we, we know Chip, Chip Kelly has a giant ego and he had one such that he wanted to get to the NFL. If anything's going to get him back to the NFL, it's probably more uh, going to Florida and, and getting on the map there as opposed to going back and winning the Pac-12 all over again. So I think there's a case to be made either way and we'll, we'll just see, we'll see how the cookie crumbles. I want to I want to say to Sammy, um, and maybe you were going to go here too, but you kind of alluded to this earlier. If Chip Kelly's the number one candidate, I still believe Scott Frost is the number two candidate. And let's just say this: if Kelly takes the Florida job and Nebraska doesn't get Scott Frost, that is such an epic failure on the part of Nebraska that 
you know, like, I don't even know. That would, it would just be such a groin kick for Nebraska and their <laughs> fan base to have to deal with. Oh, I'm imagining uh, giant, their giant mascot getting a groin kick. Oh, that's just, great. But I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's, a, I mean, for all you know, Frost could be like, screw it. I'm going to Texas A&M. I like the chance to recruit in the state I'm actually in. Um, but you know, just for Nebraska to be like, this guy has been groomed since birth to be our head coach. And now here he is. And he's just like, no, not, not feeling it. Uh, that would just be brutal. And, and what, what would be interesting for Frost is, you know, that he coached in the Oregon system. So I, I, did he overlap with Chip at all when, when they were, when he was at Oregon? Do you guys know? I believe so. Yeah. I think so. If briefly, but I'm pretty sure he was the OC. Um, no, Hel- no, Helfrich, Hel- Helfrich, Helfrich was, was always OC. I think he was oh. quarterback's coach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. You know, would, would if Chip Kelly goes to Florida, would Frost maybe want to stick around to try and out recruit his old boss? I don't know. That, you know, his tenure at South Florida is, I mean, he's, he's done great things there, but, uh, you know, the big money is definitely in power five, but, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I, if, if for no other reason he should go to Nebraska because they're going to pay him all the money, even without that Florida job with, with A&M being open with UCLA being open. Frost just has all the leverage in the world. I'd give anything to be his agent right now. I mean, well, the, <laughs> these coaches are just wired a certain way. I, I can think of only one example over the years, I guess maybe two, if you believe that Fitz was really a, a candidate for either Notre Dame or, or, or Michigan, but one coach over the years that has chosen to stay at a non-Power 5 uh, or a or a sub-whatever standing school um, when when presented with riches uh, and, and incredible opportunity, and that's Chris Peterson, who turned down USC, and I think Oregon as well, to stay at Boise. I mean, t- Tom Herman did wait an extra year. I mean, but kinda. I mean, like this, but I mean, this is just such a meaty year for jobs. I mean, you've got, I mean, the the but, jobs that are already open are all marquee jobs. I just like, the, I, I think when these guys, when the, when the, when the treasure chest rolls up and the accolades pour in, these guys are like a, they're just like a five-star recruit that is like, yep, I'm going to be the top dog in this team and I'm going to the league. So, right. uh, so I want I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Texas A and M situation a little bit more. Um, Kevin Sumlin is a, a great coach, and like it's like LSU on repeat. Isn't it, it is. It, it absolutely is. They're going to fire him and put all of their effort into trying to get Jimbo Fisher to come, right? And when he says no, if he says no, where do they? I mean, A and M. Yeah, they're. They they're not winning the SEC, but they're having decent seasons. I mean, they're seven and four right now, uh, with the chance to go I, eight and four. I can't wait next year to see the Texas A and M Arkansas game featuring Jimbo Fisher and Gus Malzahn. <laughs> <laughs> Is something that will never, ever, 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 ever happen. Uh, I just just the idea. I mean, I guess. Maybe if you're A and M, you could talk yourself into believing Fisher's going to leave FSU. But Arkansas believing they're going to get guest balls on is just that to me is priceless. But so if someone does get fired um, after this weekend, 
wouldn't, I mean, five years ago when he took the A&M job, UCLA was offering him their job. You know, wouldn't, do you think he might uh, be interested in revisiting that? That seems like a perfect fit for me. I just, it's the right, right kind of guy, right kind of circumstance. I would pull the trigger on that immediately if I was UCLA. But, but obviously, like, not UCLA ain't doing that until they know they can't get Chip Kelly. Um, but, yeah, no, I think Sumlin would be a great fit there. And you're right, he's a great coach. I just struggle to see the, the Fisher thing. He's got a close to $40 million buyout if, if Florida State fires him. Um, and it just doesn't... I don't know, it just doesn't seem to make sense. So um, I, I completely agree. I, I think they're, you know, doing what LSU did last year, you know, getting rid of their guy, thinking they have another one and not going to get him. And Florida didn't have their quarterback all season. And he was like a really big quarterback. And yes, obviously, like, that's not a huge excuse. But like, given everything that Jimbo's done at that school, I'm pretty sure people are going to be willing to give him another year. I just I think it's I think it's ludicrous that they're that they would be pushing him out behind the scenes. I mean, it's basically like this is this is FSU Twitter um, and Texas A and M Twitter. I feel like that is generating so much of this, but I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's never been super comfortable there. Um, but at the same time, like he's why why trade uh, present day Clemson and present day Miami for Nick Saban? for the next however many years like what why what possible reason would he have for doing that other than getting away from a couple you know dumb florida state fans to have to deal with dumb texas a&m fans that just doesn't make sense and i think i think a&m is going to be in a situation like lsu was last year they fired uh the hatter thinking that they could get tom herman in swoops texas i think the same deal is going to happen here they're going to fire someone thinking that they can get Fisher or or maybe you know maybe they're talking to Chip Kelly on the side maybe they're talking to Scott Frost on the side I think they're going to left be be left holding the bag and they're going to start to go oh oh goodness what what are we going to do can we can we get Gary Patterson nope that's not going to happen can we get you know I maybe they're going to try to hire Matt Rule away from uh away from Waco I mean I, I, I just I just think they're going to be in a real bad spot. I just think, you know, you got teams like Nebraska and Tennessee need to measure their expectations. I mean, did we say that, like, Les Miles had interest in, like, the Oregon State job? Les, Mi- <laughs> Les, Miles, should, Les Miles should be considered a fantastic get at either Nebraska or Tennessee. If Tennessee got Les Miles, they should celebrate. Isn't Les um, Miles' kid playing for Nebraska? Oh, I don't even know. Maybe. I think that's I mean, the like, case. I mean, if they, if you get him, like that's a win. You call it a day. But obviously, they're going to throw the moon and stars at Scott Frost first, and they should. Um, I, I mean, in addition to all the Nebraska ties, Frost is clearly a really good coach. And Nebraska, you know, if if they he's the kind of coach who's the top, you know, the top young prize right now. And Nebraska, if they you know want to be Nebraska, should pay whatever it costs to get him. Um, but yeah, but I think yeah, less would fit at any number of these jobs. I think you know. The guy was a fantastic coach in a huge fishbowl for a long time. Conspiracy theory time. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts hire Jim Harbaugh, and Michigan finally gets their Michigan man in Les Miles. That would be fantastic. They, they got of their course, Michigan man with Harbaugh. Well, I mean, like the, 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 like Miles, who they've gone after three times before, and he's always he's always said no because I think he hated the AD. You know what the funny thing is. Uh, Michigan, so like, let's say Michigan did fire Harbaugh, right? Immediately, they become arguably the biggest open job. Um, and yet, they're the one place I don't think would grab Chip Kelly. 
because of the Rich Rodriguez experience that I feel like that's still like I feel like they would be the one school that would be like eh, no uh, would would they be a bigger job than Florida like I, like mm. like yes from a fan base perspective and yes from a national media perspective but from a from an actual coaching perspective I don't know that that's the case yeah I mean I it's it's tough because again you it's all kind of on what you do I mean I always look at it as like right like wh- who can you get how big of a team? How good of a team can you build up? And who do you play? And right now, Myers got Ohio State cooking, and Franklin's got Penn State cooking. If you are a great Michigan coach, in theory, you should be able to get on top of both of them. But you've got to get there. Um, and yeah, I mean, there are there are easier roads. But, well, the, but their baggage now is starting to look like Notre Dame, right? Like like when Notre Dame fired um, Weiss and was was searching for the next, or was it Weiss or was there somebody else in between? I can't even remember. Uh, point, Willingham. But, uh, Willingham and then Weiss and then uh, Kelly after Weiss, right? I feel like we're yeah. forgetting someone. Oh, you know what? I, I know I, the conversation I'm thinking of was from like two years ago where there was talk about firing Brian Kelly. And it was kind of like, like who who do you go to if you fire this guy who's been arguably your most successful coach in a long time? Like like you've you've lost the um, the momentum or the luster of this coaching job. And like if Urban Meyer said at the end of the season, like, hey, I'm retiring – You've got the Jim Trestle era and the Urban Meyer era, era like fifteen years of of awesomeness to look on as a coach and say, "Hey, I can build on this." Absolutely. Let's just ignore that one Luke Fickle year in the middle. Um, but at Michigan, you've you, like this is the third coach now who, while Harbaugh has a lot, has had a lot more success than the last two guys. Um, it's been you know he's not been able to get over that hump and he's not been able to necessarily win over the fan base. So who wants to jump in that snake pit? Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, and again, first, like everyone's trying to get inside of Harbaugh's head. Maybe he stays, but I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily, I mean, I think the only way Harbaugh leaves Michigan is if the NFL comes calling. And that, that's kind of what's interesting about the coaching carousel is, you know, you'll get a ton of uh, openings uh, coming up on Sunday, right? You know, the day after the, the final regular season game, you'll, you know, this black Sunday. Um, but then, you know, after the NFL season, you get another round of coaches getting fired. Wave two. <laughs> yeah. It's wave two. Yeah, right. So, you know, NFL coaches get fired and, you know, do you, you know, will people start looking to college or do you go for coordinator? I mean, there's all sorts of facets in the NFL coaching search. Um, and then as, coaches leave one job to take another one then that one comes open so yeah the carousel goes on for quite a long time and it's going to be interesting to see you know what you know the big dominoes are early you know if AM is open you've got tennessee that that's been open and, and that's a team that we haven't talked about at all in this entire conversation <laughs> tennessee you're gonna be a deep caca. no i mean wh- what do they do like where in their mind, they're a top flight job. They haven't been a top flight job since Phil Fulmer. You know, their 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 track very similarly mirrors Nebraska's in that it, they're a, a once proud program that has no recruiting base. And, and 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 I mean, and frankly, Nebraska's got it far worse. When you look at you know population, like like Memphis is a city in Tennessee. Um, 
there's there's nothing even close to Memphis in the state of Nebraska or in any of the surrounding states that are contiguous to Nebraska. Omaha, so, right? Like um, Ogallala, like like it's just it's a it's a problem. But Nebraska's figured out like go recruit Texas. That's why you know they were successful in the Big Twelve. Now they're they're getting more into the Midwest, etc. Um, Tennessee has to adapt because they they just. They've got talent on their team right now, and and you could argue that it's been more of a coaching problem the last couple seasons. But they do not have a recruiting base to build on, and, and that's a thing, major major problem when you're lined up against Florida and Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi on the other side of the ledger and South Carolina, who you all can, have awesome recruiting bases. You can be the worst team in the SEC East, and they are. <laughs> like even Vin, I mean, right now. Every what's that awesome stat that Sammy that you sent us? Uh, Tennessee lost to every single team in the SEC the last time they played that team, which is just mind blowing. Um, but but that's they, just... they even lost to Butch Jones the last time they faced him because he was at, at Cincinnati and beat them. That's right. <laughs> I mean, so like I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like I mean, Nebraska even. When they were in the Big 12, you're talking Texas, Oklahoma, and then, you know, if you're, I mean, because they were in the Big 12 North, you're sitting pretty in the Big 12 North, and even in the Big 10 West, you're sitting pretty, at least in theory, if Nebraska's up. So but, speaking of speaking of SEC craziness, we've, you know, we've talked about Florida, we've talked about Tennessee, we've talked about A&M, um, there's word that, you know, Auburn was ready to fire Malls on earlier in the year, and now, you know, like... He could win this game against Alabama this weekend and springboard to another national championship appearance for Auburn, or he could lose and potentially get fired. Or I, I mean, I I think this situation is a far more likely one where he's like, "Look, f it, I'm sick of the of the criticism. I'm sick of the the waffling. I'm going to go back to my home state of Arkansas, where they'll welcome me like a conquering hero, and I'll get to take over that program from Bet- Brett Bielema. And right, because uh, Bielema's going to get canned too, right? Yeah, Bielema's gone. Feel, so I just feel like this is exactly how Arkansas fans are ex- are hoping that it plays out. <laughs> but but I'm just like the whole first half makes perfect sense to me, and then Malzahn could take A and M or UCLA or whatever decent job is open up. Like, why would you go to like the fifth best team at best in the sec west i just the guy's gonna have better opportunities um there, I mean, the, there the, will the, be the, better jobs available it's true the reasoning would be a homecoming of of sorts and i know that doesn't always play uh play in but if you know if we think scott frost is going to go to nebraska for that kind of reason um and remember malzahn got his start in you know in, with the Springdale three in, uh, in, in Arkansas Mitch, high school. Mitch Mustaine. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That um, seems like 20 years ago. Well, and then he was head coach at Arkansas state before, uh, like, like in between being the, the OC at Auburn under Chiswick went to, to Arkansas state as head coach for, for a few years before coming back to Auburn as their head coach. So, well, and, and he does, we talked earlier about leverage and when you've got all the boosters at your school out openly out in the media being like, pay Gus Malzahn anything he wants. You have like, a, that gives you a good place to start in negotiations. So uh, just one uh, final kind of added note on, uh, on Kevin, Kevin Sumlin, I'm just seeing on uh, Twitter, Bruce Feldman is reporting that like someone and his coaching staff and the players found out that he was going to get fired from the Houston Chronicle report that came out. No one has talked to them. And that's, 
you know, they're, they're finding out in the media. So it, it, this is, has the potential to get really, really ugly. And, you know, if, if he's going to get fired regardless, why would, I mean, why would he come out and do anything against uh, LSU this weekend? Or well, so, so ironically, they are playing LSU. LSU yeah, which the this is less miles. This situation. is exactly what happened last year with uh, with Miles, right? That LSU came out in his last game, or maybe the game after he got fired, and just hammered the opponent. I forget who it was, but um, well, I think they could very much come out in like, you know, a win one win one for the Gipper type situation. Wasn't it the year before though that they that Miles was? announced that he was going to get fired. They went out and destroyed whoever it was they were playing. And that, yeah. that, that gave him a, a stay of execution for a few more games into the next season. Could that happen at, at Texas A&M? Probably not. I mean, you've had people wanting to fire someone at A&M since the day he got there. Yeah, I mean it's it's possible. It's funny. I still look back. I mean, what is what is A and M's record right now? Seven and four. They, so they're seven and four. That would take them to eight and four. I mean, again, I look back that giant lead they blew against what ended up being a crappy UCLA team. Uh, you know, kind of was like it set the tone for him like the whole rest of the season. I mean, that's a team that's fired its head coach. You get that win back, he's got a, still got a chance for nine or ten wins this season. Um, and you know, I, I kind of feel like that's, that's how close it is. And yeah, I mean, if they won and then they won their bowl game, but if they've already decided, you know, if I'm him, yeah, I'm like, why do I want to be around this anymore? Guys, it was the last game of the regular season in 2015. LSU beat Texas A&M 19 to seven and miles was carried off the field in the home finale. <laughs> oh, and then, they, I, and then they, then they were like, uh, what's going to happen? And then basically the state of Louisiana said, you are not firing him. We're not paying this buyout. And they had to, you know, eat crow and keep him for the next year. And then as soon as he lost to Auburn the next season, they canned him. But I mean, the symmetry here could not be more stark. So I, I do want to put a bow in this, uh, for now, next week, you know, we'll have the first round of the carousel to talk about. So we'll definitely go in on that. Um, before we go, we do need to talk a little bit of hoops, Northwestern basketball, uh, you know, after tough loss to Creighton in what, what was an amazing game back and forth. Um, you know, there's some red flags showing up. You know, we, we talked about the, the defensive issues and those are sort of rearing their ugly heads. Um, and that kind of really came to fruition as, uh, you know, the cats, just took it on the chin from Texas Tech uh, in the championship game in this uh, tournament at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut, eighty-five to forty-nine. I mean, this is just a a butt whooping, and um, you know, I just kind of want to take the temperature of of you guys on, you know, are are we concerned or what? What are we thinking? You know, three and two right now in this at the beginning of the season. Um, what are we thinking? Well, I guess there's two sides of it. I mean, uh, really, to me, I'm only dissatisfied with one game. Like you said, that Creighton game was fantastic. Both teams looked really good in that game, even though it was kind of defense optional. Um, obviously, you know, we've got three wins, none of them particularly convincing against lesser teams, but still, that's still three wins. Um, so it's really just that Texas Tech game where, yeah, I mean, it was just a perfect storm. 
everything went wrong for us. And yeah, they for sure, they just put it on us. But um, so it's kind of two things. One, I don't think it's a sky's falling situation. I do think we're working some things out. But on the other hand, you know, I think like Scuzz, you were saying before the pod, it's so many things that we've been talking about. I think, you know, Sanjay Lumpkin and, and a couple of other things that, you know, issues we knew the team was going to have that they're clearly working through. Yeah, I mean, my temperature is a cool 97.2 degrees. Um, I am uh, I'm not concerned at this stage. So I, I think you, you mentioned the perfect storm with Texas Tech. One thing that hasn't come up yet is the fact that this was our third game in four days. Um, there were, you know, two days off between Creighton and LaSalle, and then uh, the next day we were playing Texas Tech. I think we saw this turnover bug with uh, Bryant McIntosh you know, in the, in the beginning of last season and it's coming up again. This was, I want to say the first game where Falzon hit the floor. And so, you know, we've got, we, we've got guys figuring out how to play with guys against a team that arguably was a really terrible matchup for Northwestern, a deep athletic, uh, very long team in Texas tech that just gave our, our offense fits. So I, I'm really not concerned. I saw some people on Twitter saying, oh, well, I guess we're back to the NIT and this sort of thing. Like, none of this stuff is – I mean, if we lose to Sacred Heart, yeah, maybe. But, you know, none of this stuff is really set in stone until we get into the conference season. we got 18 Big Ten games this year. There's plenty of opportunity um, to do to do damage, et cetera. Uh, I just uh, – the the defense thing – I guess the I guess the one other thing we'll, I'll say is that we've been talking about our concerns about this team, about Sanjay, about the expectations, about the ranking. When we saw they were 20th, we all immediately reacted like, oh my God, we're petrified. Like, this is terrible. Uh, There's nothing that has happened yet this season that has surprised me. And I, you know, I expect them to get better as the year goes on and figure out how to play with one another and to try to make up for Sanjay's loss on the offensive side. But, you know, until we see some, uh, I'll, I'll say some some more flag some more red flags. I just I'm not worried yet. I, I think a big red flag for me is to see the Texas Tech shot 60 percent from the floor and the Cats shot 26 percent. Um, yeah, it was it, it's just a terrible terrible night shooting. Uh, just nothing was working for the Cats. So um, flush that down the drain. You know, come back and you know we got Sacred Heart uh, on Friday. Take a kid to the game night, and any kid under twelve is is free. So uh, you know, let's get in there and pack all state arena as, as much as we possibly can, because you know we've seen already that you know the the lack of the home court is is a thing. I mean, Welsh Ryan when it was rocking last year was rocking, and and I think and anyone who watched that Creighton game was sorry they weren't at that game. Uh, it's I mean this team. When they're clicking, the offensive firepower is totally there. And, you know, just like Scuzz was saying, I think, yeah, get out and watch this team because they're going to find it. And when they do, it's everything we saw last season. So Friday against Sacred Heart, next Tuesday at Georgia Tech in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And then we've got our uh, little taste of the Big Ten, uh, Illinois at home and then at Purdue, uh, December 1st and 3rd before we... Is that what they're calling it? Because that would be a great name. I, I I just called it that just now, but uh... taste of the Big Ten. I love it. <laughs> tastes like sausage. <laughs> well, Illinois and Purdue. Oh. That's that's more taste like cow. 
<laughs> I, I will I will say this for all you NU fans that are um, relishing the fact that Northwestern football has won two games outside of overtime um, in the last two weeks and looks to to have a good shot at doing that again this next week. Don't put your heart medicine away because the nature of this basketball team being that they don't have a lot of defense. I mean, these are going to be tight games. The cats are going to be in tight games like all season long, and it's going to be down to the last couple possessions. It's just the way it is going to happen with this squad. So uh, buckle up and um, have a glass of red wine and uh, enjoy what you can. Uh, So let's go ahead and leave it there. And uh, as we get into our Thanksgiving weekend, we shall uh, continue our search for the Swoley Grail. So for my final thought, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wax poetic about the nostalgic trip that I had to Evanston this past weekend. Uh, as we've as we've discussed previously, my dad came in for the Minnesota game. I flew up for it. It was my first Cats game of the year. It was the worst possible weather, but Sunday was beautiful. Um, but a couple of, of key nostalgia moments from the weekend. So um, one, a the tailgate, which is always awesome, um, and officially sponsored by Temperance Brewing this weekend. Nice work, Sam. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but uh, after the game, we all went to Nevins, of course, which is closing down this next week. Um, we're very sad about that. It is as we as we discussed, it's the last bar that was open when we were all in school. Uh, in that 1800 and the keg have already gone, uh, gone the way of the dodo. So now it is, it is only, you know, post our college experience bars that are open in Evanston. And of course, all the restaurants that, that serve alcohol too. It's not as much of a problem, uh, anymore, but, um, still, uh, teardrop for, uh, for ye old Nevins, um, which, which I might t- tonight I, as we record is, is the, is closing night. Oh yeah, I, and I might add on a game day with with terrible weather, um, a home game. I might add with terrible weather. Uh, and Evans had like <laughs> two waitresses and one guy in the back scheduled. Um, no wonder there's not getting a lot of people in their bar. <laughs> so, um, but so that was a lot of fun. And then on uh, Saturday night, we hit up Smiley Brothers Brewing, which I have I've got to give like two thumbs up for. That was really enjoyable. And then on Sunday. Got to walk around campus a bit and hit an old favorite of yours and mine, Sammy's, uh, Sammy Moody's Pub. Oh yeah, uh, down in uh, I, th- I think Edgewater technically. Um, but folks, if you have not been to Moody's Pub, you must go. Uh, it's been at least ten years, I think, since I went. It has not changed one iota. Um, their burgers are very good. If especially if you like blue cheese, um, you will get. One burger of meat and one burger of blue cheese, and it's spectacular. Uh, and then they've got you know the old Berghoff Dark on tap. Uh, good fries, good atmosphere. It's just it's just a great it's just a great spot. It's been open for for ever you know, seventy years or something like that. So uh, props to the dudes at Moody's uh, and the gals there as well. Uh, that was a good time. So w- great trip to Chicago. Uh, colder and rainier than I wanted it to be, but. Um, uh, a lot of fun and, and, and great times catching up with everybody at the tailgate, whether the uh, the young alums or uh, our other friends that stopped by. Um, thanks. Uh, thanks to all y'all uh, that came by to say hello. Yeah, it was awesome getting to spend time with you guys. Cause, and yeah, even though the weather was it was so bad that it was kind of fun because we all understood as it was happening that it was the worst weather we'd ever been in for a game. 
So in that way, you were kind of there was craziness. The temperance tent almost blew away like three times. <laughs> we all had to like pick it up. I mean, it was that kind of game. I don't have much of a final thought, so I'll just I'll just tack on to what you were saying about Nevins and Moody's and say that um, I'm proud to say that that maybe the in that vein, the foremost institution I remember uh, still exists, and that's the liquor barn in Niles where we used to drive all the way out to because they yeah. would take Ian's crappy fake ID. <laughs> <laughs> our, our friend Ian, who uh, EV1 would not take his crappy fake ID, but the liquor barn in Niles was all too happy. So we would take big road trips out there. Still there. So that 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 should have been on your uh, your agenda, Scuzz. That's what I'm he, saying. Here's to you, liquor barn. That is, uh, <laughs> that's being customer first. <laughs> Uh, for my final thought, again, to, to echo what both you guys said, it was it was awesome that you know the three of us were able to get together. Scuzz, always great to see you. Um, you know, always fun to catch a game uh, live and in person with with both of you guys in tow. You know, I kind of wish I just had a recorder there that we could re- record our conversations, but I'm not 100 percent sure it would have blown away and the audio quality would have been absolute crap, so we wouldn't have been able to air that anyway. But, uh, that would have been, that would have been hella fun. Um, yeah, I just kind of want to say happy Thanksgiving to everyone. You know, it's a fun weekend of plenty of football, plenty of food. Be sure to pace yourself. Uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, enjoy yourself. Don't hurt yourself playing, uh, football out in the yard before dinner. I, I saw one stat that like emergency room visits, triple on thanksgiving day from football related injuries uh not not from uh not from exploding deep fryer turkeys not necessarily from exploding deep fryer turkeys uh shockingly enough but uh uh thanks also again to uh to temperance for uh taking care of us this weekend at the at the tailgate yeah it was really really great um go try their beer it's it's amazing it's really really good stuff so um with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Head to our website, westlotpirates.com, to leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at westlotpirates. You can email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. And give us a call on our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. As always, you can email us, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.